Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer, television producer, screenwriter and novelist Mark Guggenheim about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine, Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA. Subscriptions from £2.50 are available at getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. And on an even brighter note, Comic Scene have recently made their 320-page 2019 annual available for free on their website. Simply go to bit.ly forward slash Comic Scene Annual 2019 or click the link in the show notes to download your copy today and enjoy the best of comics from 2019. Now without further ado, on with the show. Hello Mark Guggenheim, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, just uh, coming to the end of my day, as it's just kind of midday um, in uh, on the west coast of America. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> that's correct. That's correct. It's a little bit past uh, noon. Nice. So, uh, and the, ha- how's the how's, how's the weather? <laughs> Uh, it's actually gorgeous. Uh, it's been really lovely. It's, it's like 70 degrees out, but there's not a cloud in the sky. It's uh, it's really nice. Um, Perfect. Yeah. it's uh, it, we, we put up with a lot of traffic uh, in Los Angeles in order to have this weather. And yes. most days it's worth it. Most days. <laughs> Definitely. Although, obviously, of late, it's it's been rather clear on the roads and rather clear in the skies, apparently. <laughs> That's true. It's all, I mean, uh, there's you know, elements of the quarantine that are really not so bad. Um, you know, it, in fact, I'd, I'd be tempted to say that it's actually pretty great, but for the uncertainty and, of course, you know, people being sick and people dying, um, which is kind of like saying, well, apart from that other thing, Mrs. Lincoln, how is the play? Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I've been trying to focus on the, on the positives. Yeah, we kind of have to a little bit, don't we? Um, and uh, I mean, utmost respect for all the healthcare professionals out there that are dealing with this on a daily basis um, and all the essential key workers and things like that um, doing an absolutely incredible job. But um, yeah, we do we do have to keep our, keep in mind some positives, I think, from this. Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, I've been trying to sort of focus on the bright side, you know, more time with my family, um, you know, more time to write. Uh, you know, I've, I've really been trying to make use of this time uh, as much as I, I possibly can. I don't want to look back on the quarantine and go, oh, my God, I just, you know, wasted what is for me a pretty rare opportunity to actually practice my craft. Yeah, 100%. That's a really good point. Um, and, and on that um, note, um, for anybody that doesn't know, and there'd be very few of those, uh, what do you do in the world of comics? Well, I, I guess I do two different things. Um, I, you know, for the last 15 years, I've, I've been writing comics, um, you know, both for Marvel, DC and Image. Um, but I'm probably most well, quote unquote, known for my work with the Arrowverse, uh, specifically Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow and uh, the various crossovers that we do most recently, Crisis on Infinite Earths. 
Yeah, and fantastic job with all of that. And and one note that I saw is that you're actually involved in Carnival Row as well. Uh, yes, yes, I was in the first season. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was just saying that because my, my wife and I just finished the season like a couple of weeks ago and we really enjoyed oh. it. And then like looking oh, through you. kind of your um, your writing credits, I saw that and I was like, okay, that's cool. Awesome. That was a, a really fun gig. I really enjoyed that. Um, and it was yeah. an interesting, it's a very cool show and it's it's original, it's unique. And you're like the second person in the last 24 hours to tell me they, they watched it. Uh, so, you know, I guess... <laughs> You know, in quarantine, people are, are checking out new stuff. So uh, it's that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, very gratified whenever I hear that anyone's watched that show. Oh, 100 percent. And then, is it? Are you going to be involved in the second season at all? Um, I was, uh, and then I stepped aside um, mainly to work right. on Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was consuming yes. all my time. <laughs> that's priority. Uh, we actually, <laughs> yeah, we actually went into production on season two within 24 hours of going into production on Crisis. And right. I, it, it very nearly killed me. Wow. Gosh. Yeah, yeah it was, it was a, a, long hours, I bet. It was brutal because I was in Prague, actually, uh, which is like seven or nine hours ahead of Vancouver. And mm-hmm. I, I was basically doing full days on the set and in production uh, and then going back to my hotel room in Prague and I'd be on the phone and on the email with people in Los Angeles, people in Vancouver. I was rewriting scripts. It, it was, it it was easily the, the hardest, I want to say the worst, but you know, there were elements of it that are positive, but like it was definitely Mm -hmm. the hardest period of my career for sure. Um, That was just a, a brutal, brutal, uh, you know, con- you know, uh, configuration of, of schedules. Um, it, it, it was, it was brutal. <laughs> it was, it was tough. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like back to back kind of full-time jobs. Yeah. Time, be- because I'd, I'd like work till like one o'clock in the morning, you know, yeah. dealing with, you know, Pacific coast time. And I would still find myself waking up in the middle of the night, like, you know, to, you know, to phone calls and emails. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'd wake up just, to see if someone had called or emailed, um, you know, it, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, it was, it was really, really bad, but you know, everything gets done and we got through it. And, uh, you know, I promised myself I would never do that to myself again. Exactly. We, we live and learn, don't we? <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. It was, uh, that was, that was, uh, definitely, definitely an interesting, uh, an interesting couple of weeks. Fantastic. Uh, now, um, all of that aside, unfortunately, I do have some bad news for you. Um, um, okay. That is that um, there's actually been a zombie infection um, that's uh, been. Oh, that's. Of, well, you going, know, I, I, honestly, that's not bad. You know, that's that's totally <laughs> cool. I mean, at this point, at, at this point, I kind of expect it. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? You know, well, that's kind of I like mean, it's the next step, really, in the evolution uh, yeah. of all of this. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, it's it's like okay, well, this this was about this was about to happen. You know, you got you got <laughs> earthquakes and murder hornets and COVID. And this was this was just a, uh, you know, uh, it, it was just a matter of time, really. Brilliant. Um, so my my first question for you is is what is your action plan for survival in this escalated, um, potentially coronavirus related zombie apocalypse? 
Well, you know, it's funny, like my, uh, I have a, I'm married and we have two daughters and we are always talking about like, oh, you know, what? we need to have like a crisis uh, plan. You know, we, we need to have a like, yeah. okay, where are we all going to gather if there is a zombie apocalypse or if there is a nuclear war, if, you know, I guess if there is a major pandemic and um, I, I'm here to tell you, we have, we have no plan, like. No plan whatsoever. Um, And uh, I I think actually the pandemic kind of proved that like we sort of stumbled into quarantine a little bit. Um, So honestly, my my plan probably just includes going back home or staying home and being with my family and watching, you know, someone eat my kids brains. You know, Um, (laughs) yeah, I I wish I I wish I had a good plan. I really should because like I'm a producer and I. I should, you know, it's all about logistics and all about planning ahead. But, um, you know, I've got like a, you know, I've got like one of those earthquake preparedness kits in my garage. Um, You know, we've got some canned goods. Uh, You know, that's it. I got nothing else. Um, So you're essentially going to just um, hold out in your garage. Pretty much. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, I like to think that, uh, you know, zombies would have a difficult time getting into my house. Um, you know, they're not, you know, known for their ability, like, you know, pick locks and open doors or something. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think, I think we could be okay. Awesome. Um, so whilst you're hunkering down at home, um, you, you and your family, um, start to, well, it's, it's evening. You've turned out all the lights, not to kind of bring in any zombies kind of like with, with lights and things. Um, and you're just having a, a nice, uh, family dinner of canned food, of course. Um, and, uh, the, the, the subject of comic comics come up, um, and your family ask you, uh, what's the first comic you remember enjoying? Yes. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I, one of my earliest memories, and it's, it's a very vivid memory. Um, I was, I was sitting on the floor in my room, um, and I was flipping through a Superman comic. I don't know if it was Superman or, you know, action comics, but I, this was before I could read. And my mother came into the room and she saw me with this comic book. And, and in that moment, I really think that she thought she had a savant for a son. She's like, Oh my God, you're, you're reading. And I'm like, no, I'm just looking at the pictures. Uh, I don't know where I got the comic book from. Um, you know, it, 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 but I literally, I, I have memories of comics that predate pretty much any other memories that I have, um, and, and predate my ability to, to even read them. Um, you know, so it, it goes back that far for me. That's awesome. And sorry, how, you must have been what five or something, four or five then? If you were yeah, about proper reading age. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. And I, you know, I for my whole life, I just remember always being into comic books. Um, it's it's uh, just always been part of my identity. That's fantastic. And so you've been you've been an avid reader ever since. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I still read to this very day. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a, uh, a lifelong love affair. Fantastic. And so when, when did the, the idea of you actually getting into comics come up? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I had always wanted to, you know, break in. Um, I, I was, I guess, you know, 
it, it depends upon at which point in my life we're talking about. Like I interned mm-hmm. at Marvel uh, after the summer, after my sophomore year of college, I was, you know, I was 19, um, you know, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to write for Marvel then. Uh, I would say it, it really sort of happened in earnest um, about the year 2004, 2005. Um, and that's when I, uh, you know, I, I had already been working for about five years in Hollywood, writing television shows. And um, different things were sort of happening in the business. Uh, one of the things that was happening was you had writers like Kevin Smith and Joe Straczynski who were known as quote unquote Hollywood guys who were suddenly starting to write comics. And they kind of opened up the door. Um, you know, it, it, the, the tricky thing about comic books and, and the industry of comics and breaking in is unlike Hollywood and TV and film, there's really no agents. You know, there's no one... There's no staffing season. There's no one out mm-hmm. there getting you work. It's I always say it's a lot harder to break into comics as a writer than it is to break in uh, to Hollywood as a writer. You know, I think artists have an easier time of it, if only because, you know, it, it doesn't take as much to review a portfolio as it does to sit down and read a sample script. Um, mm. And I also think the demand for artists uh, is always a lot higher than the demand for new writers. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, and so, um, you know, what? How did it come about that you got your break into into comics? Well, I like to say that uh, I had to basically break into comics twice. Um, the, right. the first time was um, my wife uh, used to work for David Goyer, and right. uh, as his assistant, and then she she left that job and she hired her new assistant. She hired her replacement, basically David's new assistant. And my wife and I got engaged, uh, and, uh, the assistant became a friend and we were at, uh, our bridal shower and she's like, why don't you write comics? This is crazy. And I said, look, I, I would love to write comics. It's hard to break in. And she said, well, let me talk to David. You know, he's been doing a lot of writing for DC comics lately. Um, you know, maybe he'd be okay if I put you in touch with his editor. And David was, and I got on the phone with the editor and that was Peter Tomasi uh, back before Peter, you know, also became a writer. And Peter and I hit it off and he hired me to write a two issue uh, story for Aquaman. Um, And I had an absolute blast. And those two issues of Aquaman so set the world on fire that absolutely nothing happened. (laughs) Um, and, uh, it, it wasn't until a year later, um, when my manager at the time hooked me up with someone at Marvel, um, who I met at San Diego Comic-Con and that person gave, uh, my material to, uh, Axel Alonso, who at the time was an editor in chief of Marvel. He, he was just an editor at Marvel, but he, um, took a liking to my writing and, and really it was Axel's support, uh, that, that got me my first gig at Marvel. And then uh, he asked me to write the Wolverine tie-in for Civil War. And that really, that's when the phone started really ringing after the publication of that, of that run. So um, it, you know, it took, took quite a, quite a bit of doing. Um, and, and oftentimes I feel like comic books requires, um, you know, it, it, requ- it re- I almost have to feel like I have to break in repeatedly, you know, mm. um, 
you know, for, for example, like since I finished my run on X-Men Gold, um, you know, the phone hasn't been ringing from Marvel. Um, so, you know, I feel like I've got to re-break into Marvel, um, yeah. you know. Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's less of a regular gig for me than, you know, television has been. Yeah, of course. And <clears throat> that's something that I wanted to ask you is in, in terms of your process, um, obviously you, you must go about writing comics differently to TV. And, and, and if that is correct, um, what, what are the differences? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I would say my actual process in terms of how I break story and how I go about, you know, turning an idea into a finished product, that is is pretty much unchanged i mean the way i go about doing it obviously has to change for the medium but Mm -hmm. you know my my process like typically you know what i'll do but the first step in any process i take is um i i write out notes to myself longhand um and sort of brainstorm on you know on the page longhand um and that process that part of the process remains the same whether i'm writing comics movies television doesn't matter um you know the medium itself is obviously very different and mm-hmm. um the the process of writing a comic book script is just a different kind of exercise than writing a, a movie or a, or a teleplay um you know i i tend to view the comic book script as a very sort of personal document um, when I write a television show, that I know that's going out to hundreds of people. With a comic book script, it yes, it's going to be read by the editor and the colorist and letterer, but fundamentally, it, it is a document written for the artist. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a much more sort of personal kind of collaboration where I will really try to – I always tell the artist at the beginning, I'm just getting down on paper what I'm seeing in my head. It's not a prescription um, for how you should draw it. Um, you know, if I have an idea for a camera angle, I will I'll share that with you. If I have a specific vision of a specific page layout, I'll I'll throw that out there. But it always is just with the proviso that if this helps you, great. And if you've got a different way of tackling the story. Great. Like I would always mm. rather the artist draw the amazing version of what's in their head than the so-so version of what's in mine. That's a great point. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of giving the artist the freedom, trying to give them direction, but then like the freedom yeah. to try things at the same time. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a very big believer that, that writing, all writing, is is fundamentally an act of empathy. Um, that's because you're not writing a grocery list and you're not writing a to-do list. You're writing a document that someone has to read. At least one person is going to read it, one other human being on the planet. So you have got to write with that other person or other group of people in mind. Um, and that's particularly true with uh, with comics because there you're you're not just asking another human being to visualize it in their head or perform it you're asking you're actually asking them to to conjure images to actually draw and execute what you're putting out on paper so you know if you are asking an artist for something that cannot be drawn um i 
I basically think you're kind of a jerk, um, <laughs> you know, um, and I, I think you, you, if you're not empathetic to your artist, you are going to increase the odds of asking them to draw something that is not physically possible to draw. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a great, great tip for, uh, for budding writers out there is, you know, think of the artist. <laughs> is yeah. it possible? Are, are you kind of giving clear directions as well? Uh, I, I try to. Like, I, you, I always... you can give too many, can't you? Because often yeah. I've, I've seen like people say sad smile with a hint of yes. something else. And it's like, okay, too much. <laughs> it's it's that's why I tend to express my ideas in terms of like this is what I'm seeing in my head. I I have to be able to visualize it for myself mm-hmm. before I can ask someone else to visualize it. And you know, a, a sad smile. Uh, I suppose there's a way to to do yeah, that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I, and I think it's you know fair game to ask the artist to convey a certain emotion um but i think you've got to you know give some thought to how you're asking for that so i'll give you a very specific example you know uh more and more these days i work with artists who don't speak english um and you know when i write for those artists knowing that my scripts are actually going to be translated uh into whatever language they speak I try to avoid things like idioms, you know, English mm-hmm. idioms. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, this is just, you know, it, I, I, I express it in terms of empathy, but the the truth of the matter is it's just good manners. It's just, you know, again, mm-hmm. it's just not being a jerk. <laughs> that's a great tip. Just don't be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think that's some, some advice that, uh, you know, a, a lot more people could... Uh, you know who could stand Take to uh, follow yeah exactly 100 yeah definitely uh now uh the conversation with your family uh moves on to the next question and that is what is the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most um it, you know i am i it's not a pr- single issue but i i loved absolutely loved the dimitis uh mcguire run on justice league uh which became justice league international that was just you know, such a hoot um, and so funny and, and, you know, really one of the only comic books I can remember reading where I would literally laugh out loud. Um, and uh, it, it is a, just a, just a remains such an amazing comic. Uh, were, there, were there any particular moments that stood out for you? Um, you know, it's funny for whatever reason um, I, re- I, I seem to remember Issue two being particularly funny. Uh, and of course, you know, Batman punching out Guy Gardner, uh, which I think was like an issue seven or eight, um, was beyond brilliant. Um, a, a, it's just, um, it's, it, 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 it was such a, an interesting book at the time, too. That idea of that kind of take, uh, particularly on a group of characters like the Justice League, um, was so original and so different. Um, and just so much fun and and very rarely do you see a combination of writer and artist um that is just so perfectly suited for each other yeah it's it's great when kind of the magic happens i guess yeah uh that that's the thing when you have that kind of fantastic you know it's like you know the claremont burn collaboration on uncanny x-men like 
when, you know, when you've got two people who are, you know, being like George and, you know, uh, like, like being, you know, uh, you know, Lennon and McCartney, um, it, it's a, you realize, oh, that's a very special thing. That's awesome. Uh, now, uh, changing gears, the next question that comes up is what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? I, you know, I feel like this is such a, uh, I feel like this is such a, um, cliche answer and it's not a very original answer um but the kid who collected spider-man um you know is is definitely a high watermark for me in terms of you know a a book that really sort of affects you actually also you know now that i think about uh i don't remember the number off the top of my head but there's an issue of fantastic four that john byrne wrote and drew aware uh this kid who's bullied at school um uh, all this kid has, all this kid is living for is, um, is his idol, the human torch, Johnny storm. And, uh, to be like the human torch, he sets himself, he douses himself with gasoline and sets himself on fire. Um, and he dies at the end of the book and it's, it is just so brutally painful. Um, and not, not just because of the ending, um, but because, this kid whose parents are not paying attention to him and who's, who's bullied, um, you know, it's, it's just so touching and it, it really speaks a lot, much like the kid who collected Spider-Man. It, mm. Both these stories speak to the power of comics to fill holes in people's lives uh, and help them, you know, the, the, the solace that a lot of people, you know, take in, in comics, um, you know, so it's 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 both those stories that I, you know, that that really really touch me. Fantastic, and and for anybody that hasn't come across it, um, how do you describe the story of the kid who collects Spider Man? Um, well, well, I don't want to ruin the ending of it. Uh, no. I, I basically, basically, Peter uh, Spider Man goes to visit this kid who keeps this scrapbook about everything related to Spider-Man. Basically it's, it's Spider-Man meeting his biggest fan. Um, and it's this little kid um, and Sp- Spider-Man unmasks and, and reveals himself to be Peter Parker. Um, and it's only at the end of the story. Um, do you learn why, uh, you know, why Peter's done that? Um, and why he's visited this kid. Um, and it's a real, it's just a gut punch of a panel. Really touching. Yeah. It's, it's one of the all time classics. Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, changing gears once again, uh, the next question that comes up is what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? You know, I don't have a good answer for that one. Um, I got nothing. Uh, you know, I suppose, um, you know, I suppose The Walking Dead just as a, a collective. Mm. Um, but yeah. it's fine. I also don't read a lot of horror comics. Um, you know, it's it's just I, I tended to be sort of pretty, you know, straight up superhero sci-fi in my comic book reading. Yeah. Um, I mean, just uh, off, off the top of my head, one of, one of the most horrifying things that comes to mind for me is is an invincible um like just some of the some of the some of the pages in that <laughs> you just, know believe it or not I, i've never read it um yeah, yeah. i've never read it i've always wanted to um you know and it's it's been on my list but uh yeah, yeah i 
I have. Well, you 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 know what I mean. If you ever get round to it, um, honestly, some of the some of the pages in that, particularly kind of later on in the in the run, um, like it, it gets pretty horrific. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's not, I, it's not, I, not I scary. Love, it's more horrific. <laughs> I love Robert Kirkman's writing, um, yeah. and I you know with with Walking Dead now over, um, you know, turning to that, um, you know, book would. But definitely, I, I really should do that. I should just, you know, look to see if they sell, you know, an, an omnibus or something. Yeah, there's definitely a compendium out there. Yeah, yeah, I got to check that out. Absolutely. I got to check that out. Excellent. Uh, now, uh, we move on to one of my favorite questions, and that is, uh, what is your favorite cover? Well, you know, if if I'm being honest, uh, you know, I, I could give you an answer today, and then if you ask me the exact same question tomorrow, you'd get a completely different answer. Um, okay. For whatever reason, you know, I, today the answer is uh, Fantastic Four two thirty eight by John Byrne. It's the it's the okay. one with uh, Doctor Doom is not in this, you know, doesn't appear in this comic. And <laughs> I, you know, I, I think the reason again, you know, tomorrow the answer would be different. But I, I think the reason I kind of love that cover so much is it you know, even though it's, it's was published in the eighties um, and, and therefore it's, you know, considered, I guess, sort of modern, it has such a old style, old school, Marvel, 1960s Marvel feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the engage, the way, you know, those early Marvel books engaged the reader and sort of brought the reader in on the process and brought the reader in on the joke. Um, you know, John Byrne even sort of cameos himself on the cover um it's just a a lot of fun and i also i happen to love that particular issue uh which is an interesting issue because it's it's actually two stories in one which you know at the time that you know you never saw that you know in the 80s um and uh i i just i I have great nostalgia great affection for that and it's got a great um banner at the top where you can win a columbia 10 speed racer Yes, well. which I, of course, never did. So, um, oh, no, denied. I know. I know. Very, <laughs> very sad. Very, very sad. Um, <laughs> what are you going to do? Isn't it? Uh, but no, it's a, it's a, it's a great cover. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's just it, it's cheeky. It's classic. Yeah. Um, you've, it's, got, you've, it's... you've even got, got um, Mr. Fantastic and, and the thing kind of having a bit of a wrestle as well. Yeah. And, and, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Terry Austin inked. Uh, John on that cover. Um, I know he right. inked him on the second issue, a uh, second story inside that issue, um, and just you know the the Burn Austin collaboration back then was, you know, again very Lennon and McCartney esque. Um, so just just a lot, you know, a lot to you know to like. I think you know certainly in the these days of of pandemic and quarantine, um, like most people, I'm I'm leaning towards nostalgia and you know sort of comfort food, uh, comfort food media. Definitely, um, I've probably been doing my fair share of that as well. Um, yeah. Now, uh, moving moving on to to our next question, uh, what is the most meaningful comic to you? most meaningful um that's tough uh you know again this is one of those you know ask me tomorrow you'll get a different answer but i i want to say uh, the the one that comes to mind is x-men 139 uh which is the uh welcome to the x-men kitty pride 
hope you survive the experience uh, issue. Um, that was the first issue of X-Men I'd ever read. And um, I, I think it really, you know, by that point I was like, you know, 13, maybe 14. Right. Um, and I, you know, I thought I'd read every comic book there was to read or every kind of comic book there was to read. Um, but that, that was sort of the first comic that really like showed me the different ways the medium, even the, the sub specialty of, of superhero comics could, could work and accomplish. It was just so different from any other kind of comic I'd ever read before. Um, so, and, and little did I know that, uh, this was coming after, you know, the whole death of Jean Grey arc and dark Phoenix. Um, I, it just kind of blew me away. Um, but, uh, I, I also don't know if I'm using the word meaningful correctly. Is that kind of what you have in mind by the question? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, meaningful is com- it's completely um, subjective. So, you know, um, you, can, you can take it how you want, really. Um, and it can be meaningful in, in any way that you kind of see fit, really. But no, that's that's absolutely perfect. And it's it's just so great when you read a comic that completely exceeds your expectations and kind of completely takes you, you know, takes you back and think, makes you think that, you can do comics in so many different ways isn't it yeah that's that's the thing it's it is really a you know it's such a flexible medium and i just i happen to love i i love experiencing stories through comics and i love telling stories through comics it's a you know it's a it's just a just a a wonderfully flexible medium Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, moving on to, to another interesting question, and that is, uh, what's the most underrated comic? Ooh, uh, I'm, I'm assuming this doesn't include comic books I've actually written. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 feel like, I feel like I've written a few, you know, if I dare say so, a few underrated comics. Um, the most underrated comic? Uh, ooh, that is tough. Um you know, uh, I'm going to go with, again, the, you know, this is just how it's striking me today. I, I would say Marvel fanfare. Um, you know, back in the 80s, Marvel published a anthology series um, that, that, if I'm not mistaken, was really just previously unpublished inventory stories. Inventory stories were these, you know, they, they would solicit entire issues um, to fill in the gaps uh, if a book fell, in beho- fell behind schedule because, you know, nowadays we're, we're sort of used to, you know, the industry has changed and we're used to, you know, if a book misses shipping for a month, then it just, it just didn't come out that month or it, it got pushed back in the schedule, we say. Um, well, back in the 80s, that, that was not possible. Like if you always had to make shipping and, uh, you know, editors would create these, would commission these inventory uh, stories. And I guess, you know, I think it was Jim Shooter who had the idea to take a lot of these inventory stories and publish them on like high quality paper to the direct sales market. Um, and what that, you know, series represents to me is um, just a, a brilliant cross section of the Marvel universe. Um, and you had people like Chris Claremont and John Byrne and Barry Windsor Smith and uh, Frank Miller. Yeah, I mean, you literally had like all the Titans uh, working on these stories um, you know, Michael Golden, uh, Paul Smith, David Cockrum, um, you know, a really incredible, incredible group. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that book represents just a phenomenal, you know, sense of, of what Marvel could be. And, you know, it, 
it, you know, I don't think people really talk about these days. And it, if anything, it was ever dying to be collected in a omnibus. Uh, to me, it's it's that you know that serious. Fantastic. Uh, now we come on to the most difficult question, and that is for you: okay. what is the what is the best comic of all time? Ooh, best comic of all time. Um, yeah. <laughs> almost you know, that is a really question. tough one. It is almost <laughs> impossible. I mean, I, I would say as a work of art, I think Watchmen is really hard to beat. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of when you talk about like what shows you, you know, the medium uh, and what the medium is capable of, you know, I, I mean, I've, mm-hmm read and reread Watchmen so many times over the course of my life. And every single time I read it, I, I notice something new. Um, I, I catch, you know, some new nuance or connection or, you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, it's an incredible, incredible piece of work uh, and, and a great, you know, sort of testament to what comic books can do and the power of comics. Um, but man, it's, it's hard, you know, uh, it's hard, it's hard to pick just one. It really is. Um, there are so many great ones out there. Um, but yeah. uh, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Ooh, good question. Um, um, it would. Do I get to pick a trade paperback? Or a yes. Yeah. yeah um, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I would. I would. It would probably be. Um, uh, it, I would probably take. Uh, I have. Uh, a whole bunch of Marvel masterworks, um, and I'd probably take an Uncanny X Men from you know circa the you know uh, Claremont Burn into Claremont Cockrum, you know Cockrum second run um, right. on the X Men. I'd probably take that with me. Fantastic. Um, and then along with that, uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you? Oh, um, I. I think i'd have i'd probably end up having to take my iphone (laughs) Um, i don't know how much use i'll get out of it um (laughs) you know during that uh you know during the apocalypse but for you know while while i still got cell service and battery i'll i think i'd get some use out of it at the very least i want to take some good pictures you know exactly um because uh you know you can still look at photos that you've got on the phone and yeah and and listen to music and things like that as long as you got you know electricity yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think there's, you know, there, there, there's, uh, you know, certain virtues and certain uses, um, you know, so uh, I, that, that's what I'll go with. I, it probably should be a shotgun or something, but I don't, own a sh- I don't own a shotgun and I probably wouldn't be a very good shot anyway. So, you know. Fantastic. Well, Mark Guggenheim, thank you so much for sharing your comments for the apocalypse today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, this has been a lot of fun. What a great podcast. Love it. Oh, thank you. Um, and, and for the listeners, uh, where can they find you online? Um, uh, I'm on Twitter at M Guggenheim. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, but not very effectively so at uh, Mark Guggenheim. Fantastic. And all of those links from the show notes so people can just click through right there. Um, and um, following on from that, uh, do you have any kind of comic projects that are coming up at all? Uh, you, you know, talk it's about. Funny. Uh, well, that's the trick, actually. Um, <laughs> nothing's been announced. I can tell you that my, you know, one of my New Year's resolutions for 2020 was 
to uh, get back into doing creator-owned comics. Um, I had I'd done a right. you know a couple you know hand, you know handful scattered over the years, but I really wanted to make a big push into it. And um, the quarantine has really been terrific um, for you know finding the time to to work on those projects. So uh, I've got you know sort of you know three going in earnest um and that's uh been a lot of fun um but i can't talk about any of them because none of them have been announced and you know i've obviously have sure. partners and collaborators yeah. on those books who you know, probably don't want me uh you know just uh you know <laughs> yeah exactly um so um but you know hopefully uh you know within the year uh we'll be getting those out to the world Oh, that'd be fantastic. I'll have to look out for those on, on your Twitter feed. I'm no doubt you'll yes. do an announcement. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about them. They're a lot of fun and uh, it's been just a, a really great privilege to uh, be able to, you know, keep writing comics. Oh, hundred um, percent. Well, again, Mark Guggenheim, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, same here. Thank you so much perfect well you take care uh, and hopefully okay, uh, when when comic cons get up, up and running again if you're ever in the uk please let me know I'd, I'd love to drop by your table and say hello i'd love that that'd be awesome that'd be awesome well in the meantime uh, stay safe uh, stay healthy and uh, thanks again for this this has been great 100 percent. thank you so much mark bye thanks again to mark for being on comics for the apocalypse it was an absolute pleasure if you enjoyed the show today Please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Mark's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and be sure to download your free copy of their 320-page annual by going to bit.ly forward slash comic scene annual 2019. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now.